Welcome to Beekeeping Today podcast presented by Bee Culture, the magazine of American beekeeping. Beekeeping Today podcast is your source for beekeeping news and information and entertainment. I'm Jeff Ott. And I'm Kim Flottam. Hey, Kim, it's been quite a while since we've uh, been able to get together. You've been doing a lot of travel. I've uh, been on the road a lot, a lot, Jeff. We spent a week at EAS out in, in oh, wow. Virginia. It was a great week. I saw, uh, some I, saw of those, of uh, I saw some of your videos, so that was fun to watch. Oh. Good job, yeah, good job. If, uh, if you haven't seen them, folks, uh, they're on Bee Culture's Facebook page. Uh, under the videos, we inter- interviewed all of the vendors that were there. So uh, go and take a look, see what's new. Everybody's got something new they wanted to show off. So uh, take a look. And before that, Jeff, I was in Calaveras County, New uh, North Carolina, and uh, I was supposed to be there for a day and uh, with another speaker, and the other speaker, something came up and they couldn't make it, so the Calaveras County beekeepers got to listen to me all day, and they didn't run, so. That's going to say, good, lucky them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, and since then, let's see, I think since then, I'm, I've got some stuff coming up, Mother Earth News, Beginners uh, class, and then the Mother Earth News News Fair. Good. But busy. hopefully over the holiday, I'll be home. Yeah, busy time. Uh, harvest season. A lot of people are getting out. We're trying to get our speakers lined up through the fall, uh, and they're all getting back to work and getting the harvest off. Um, so who are some of those folks we have lined up? Uh, yeah, well, we got Dan Conlon from Connecticut, and we've talked about him before. I mm-hmm. think we're going to get Cammy uh, uh, Horn Potter. He's coming on. Uh, I think the one that I've, a couple that I'm excited about that I was able to uh, connect with at EAS is uh, Sam Ramsey. Oh, very good. The guy from Maryland who's doing the work with Mites and Fat Bodies, and mm-hmm. then uh, Charlie Brantz, the White House beekeeper. Oh, that. Charlie that, and I go back fun. about 10 years, and, and uh, uh, he said he, he can't wait to come on and, and just talk about his job and the things that go on with, the things that you wouldn't believe that go on at the White House that have nothing to do with the White House. Uh, <laughs> no, that would be really, that'd be refreshing, actually. <laughs> it is. It, it, it's a good show. Jay Evans is coming on, the research leader at the uh, at the uh, Bellsville Bee Lab. Uh, Jennifer Berry's going to be here from Georgia. We've got, uh, well... Who's coming up? There's a, a big uh, a guy I can't wait to talk to. Coming up today. Coming Dewey up today. Do Karen? Yeah. Good. He's from my part of the woods. Yeah, he is. Uh, he used to be in mine, and now he's out with you. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to him. I talked to him a little bit at EAS, and we set this up. But... That'll be great. Well, let's uh, let's uh, get on uh, get him on the phone and uh, let's see what he's been up to. All right. Hey, we have on the line right now Dewey Karen. Dewey's uh, located down in Eugene, isn't it? Eugene, Oregon? Portland, Oregon. Portland. Portland, just right down the road for me. Uh, Dewey was uh, came up to the Olympia Beekeepers uh, earlier this year and gave a great presentation, and uh, he's been all over the world. So, Dewey, welcome to the Beekeeping Today podcast. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good to hear you again, Dewey. I am good to hear you again. So you guys were just uh, recently together, weren't you, out uh, EAS? Uh, we were. We'd love to have uh, Kim on our program as many times as we can get him for his combined wisdom. I assisted a little bit with program. Um, Virginia did a nice job uh, approaching 800 numbers, uh, so fantastic. Well, that's great. It was a good program. Uh, I was glad to be a part of it. I was also glad that I got to watch a lot of it. 
So one of the things, Dewey, you were doing there, and 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 I know you have a history with with uh, EAS even longer than mine. Uh, we both go back about. I go back about 33 years. You're going back farther than that? 51 years, Cam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 1967, University of Maryland, very first yeah. one. So I'm still a pup here. <laughs> I got a ways to go. But one of the one of the things that, that EAS has done uh, well over the years is they they've started uh, actually they adopted an existing master beekeeper program, the one that Roger Moore set up. And you've been you've been played a big role in that, and and uh, I'd like I'd like people to hear a little bit more both about the history if you can, and then kind of uh, up to this year. Okay, I, I, I was a, a student. Uh, Roger Morris was my mentor. I was in the Cornell from the six, 1966 to seventy when I left for University of Maryland. After that, he took a trip to England and um, really got enmeshed in the uh, BBKA, British Beekeepers uh, uh, Club Association, and they have a, a fantastic program of teaching new people. It's a certification program, uh, exams, uh, practical experience. And um, he said, uh, you know, why not bring this to the U.S.? And so he did. He organized a uh, training session at Cornell. The very first year was um, in 1977. I actually came back from a sabbatical in Arizona to help train that and brought him back in 78 and then certified something like 32, virtually all New York individuals, uh, um, uh, more than just beginners, uh, really uh, committed sideliners, Probably a couple, yeah, there were a couple commercials in there as well. A couple <laughs> fellows from northern New Jersey. And so that was the start of, of a, essentially a master beekeeper program. Um, Roger recognized there was an awful lot of work to it. So then we discussed the possibility of perhaps EAS taking over the certification. And so that did happen. The very first certification was a class of 16 at the EAS that was held in 1980 at Rutgers University. I know, I, I just interrupt you for a second here, Dewey. I know there was a, Roger also had a uh, another reason to uh, get a program like this going. And that was there at the time there were issues going on on Long Island. And when when the, the, the powers that be needed an expert witness, they had to call Roger. And what Roger wanted, as I recall, was he wanted people down there already trained that they could call so he didn't have to make the trip. Remember that? That was certainly part of it. The uh, state association was controlled by the the big guys, the commercials, and that. Uh, thinking back to the '80s, that was a time when the this committed hobbyist group, you know, the city beekeepers, suburban beekeepers, really got underway. Rhode Island, uh, Long Island, was certainly a, a hotbed of that, and um, he recognized that. Uh, gee, to try to serve the commercials and all these hobbyists to get all the way down to Long Island, all the way out to the Buffalo area, you know, up in the uh, Champlain Valley, um, was a great commitment. So, yeah, part of it was to to get mentors certified so that if someone was a master beekeeper, they would certify that they'd had more experience, they could handle bees, they knew the general biology and the history of bees, all the things that he, we tried to wrap into the master. We still do try to wrap into a master program. I, I know one of the um, 
since then, the program has certainly grown. It's become uh, larger. There's a lot of you got a you got a handle on how many people have finished that program over those years. We we probably in in ES alone have uh, certified uh, over 300 individuals. Um, we have an active list of a uh, little under 200. Those that we know are still active, still teaching beekeeping, um, um, still you know um, mentoring other uh, students, uh, teaching their local courses, etc. So it it's remained active. That's really, how many? I suppose it goes through revisions every year. It um, it does and it doesn't. We we we've added um, within the last few years a, a, another test. So the the AS Master Beekeeper Certification is testing only. There is no instruction. It was designed that the local group, local association, state groups would train people, and then EAS would certify them as master beekeepers. Um, that included a field exam. A written exam, which was the equivalent of passing a course in a in the biology, you know, a university level course, and uh, then also a laboratory exam, which was um, very practical. See this piece. What is this piece? How is it used? Uh, when would you use it? Those, uh, you know, those type of questions. Um, the last exam we've had is the is the oral exam because master beekeepers are called upon to meet press, uh, talk with their mentors. And so the oral exam consists of uh, a prepared five-minute presentation and then uh, three extemporaneous, uh, uh, we give you a topic and you have three minutes to talk about it. So a press person sticks a microphone in front of your face, asks you a question about why are bees dying or, or, you know, whatever. We have those type of scenarios for an oral exam. Kind of like and we that did is, uh, So there yes, uh, some revisions, Jeff, through the years with it. Oh, good. That's kind of like what we did to you today. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Except now we got a camera in your face too. There so, we go. Uh, so, so the um, someone who's in the program, uh, how long should they plan? If someone was looking at saying, "I hey, I really want to consider a master beekeeper program," how much time would is realistically is realistic for someone to uh, go through the entire program? Considering the, uh, they have the some testing is only once a year, Jeff. That mm -hmm. is at the annual conference. You have to register for the uh, for the conference. Uh, we require that you have a five year minimum of uh, experience to be nominated by an existing master beekeeper or some professional, such as maybe an apiary inspector or perhaps the you know university extension professional. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the way we have it arranged is is would come into the program with taking the four, four tests. If you pass uh, um, one or more of the tests, you then have the opportunity to come back and retest those that you did not successfully pass the first time. So it takes, um, some people will do it all in one year. We had a, we had a number this year. We had, uh, this year we had uh, something of in the vicinity of nine of 16 came into the program this year passed all four of their tests. Wow. Uh, others, the other uh, uh, seven then, have to come back, if they want to complete the certification, come back and take one, two, and one, and I think one person passed only one test. So he or she has to come back for three more tests. 
So, so there's not a required uh, uh, apprentice, journeyman, master progression. So this EAS program is not a structure. Um, you start out at a at a beginner or advanced beginner level, mm -hmm. what we would call a novice or a apprentice, etc. So that EAS is not structured that, that way. Um, there are a number of other master beekeeper programs that have started up. Some are similar to EAS and some mm -hmm. are quite um, quite different. Now let's talk about talk about the different programs like because they're becoming popular with a number of beekeepers around the country and I think that's a good thing for beekeepers that there's courses and the ability to to advance their education no matter where they reside. So let's talk about some of the different programs I know that you've been involved in and and you're aware of. Yeah, I've been involved in helping establish some of them, been an advisor for others. So as uh, EAS uh, started certifying beekeepers, the um, EAS is the Eastern Seaboard, and um, the Southern states generally are not well represented. So, Florida, Georgia, uh, North the Carolinas, Alabama, <clears throat> there are members, and they have a director. And so, each of those states started their own master beekeeper program, and those were the the three or four levels. In other words, you start out. Um, basically one year test, uh, uh, and then you can be at the apprentice level or beginning level, whatever they name it. Then there's a journey level. That's a tougher one. There you've got to pass several tests. You've got to show your competency in bee colonies. Mm -hmm. A third level is the master level in each of those uh, five states I mentioned. And um, most of those states have actually a fourth level called master craftsman, and um, that's uh, a person that has done some original research, has presented some original research, been tested by a, a panel, somewhat fashioned off, off of what maybe may be a master's program at a university level. Wow. That's great. That's a great opportunity. Now, another of other states since, too, have gone on and established master beekeeper programs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the list is growing. So, for example, West Virginia established one, Tennessee as well. Ohio has, has one. Um, there was one that was established in Missouri. Um, on the West Coast, uh, the companion organization that EAS helped organize is called Western Agriculture Society, or WAS. They do not have a master beekeeper certification. So, California, just this past year, Oregon, and then initially Washington has also have established a uh, master beekeeper program. Those are at three levels, an apprentice, a journey, and a master's level. Yeah. Um, and then there are, uh, coming on, on um, the newest of the programs, are programs that are, are essentially a university course taught in an online format. You actually don't go to the university, don't go live in the dorms, any of that, but you take a course for credit. Um, and so Montana has established a three-level master beekeeper program, all online. Yeah. Um, no practical experience, but, uh, but very, very rigorous. Um, um, each of the program, they go through a set of programs. And then in each of them, you, it's, it's not you do it in isolation. There's a chat room. There's a... There's a you know, with the online courses, a way to have some feedback, and, and they're mandatory. So you join those, talk, you know, ask questions, hear answers from other students, uh, quiz other students as well, mm -hmm. back and forth with a professor. So they're, they're elaborate, um, um, 
And but the one thing it does lack is that hands-on showing proficiency in the um, apiary that you can handle the. Yeah, I would think that would well, be important. Pretty extensive, you know. I mean, anything from the online to some of the more traditional programs, or simply with EAS, a um, simply a certification. Um, there's an ambitious program in the Midwest, um, uh, an extension person that really was just a backyard beekeeper, got some funding, and so um, has established to go with a Midwestern master beekeeper program, expending on what it was a Missouri program, um, and including some of the other states. Uh, new programs, Colorado's developing one, Hawaii's has one, uh, New Mexico is developing one, so um, we're not uncertain developing the various state uh, program. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, we certified a fellow from Australia, of all places. Um, real interesting fellow. Um, uh, he's in the Melbourne area, whereas the largest uh, high, uh, you know, backyard group is in that area of Australia. He says he would like to take the whole concept to that group in Australia. So we'll see what happens. It may go international. You can start franchises. That'd be fantastic. There we go. Sure. <laughs> well, good. So uh, you, you've been uh, from, uh, you really traversed the country uh, talking about the beekeeping programs, but you also have gone from one side of the country to the other, uh, much like I have. I started in Ohio and now I'm in, I was, had a few years in the Denver area and now I'm here in uh, Olympia. Seeing beekeeping in all the different areas, what are your observations between the East Coast and the West Coast beekeeping? Yeah, my professional life, Cornell, University of Maryland for 11 years, and Delaware, 29. So that's all East Coast. I was brought up in Vermont, started uh, beekeeping, actually, as the Boy Scout Merit Badge. Yeah, uh, and then um, as I'm nearing retirement, uh, my sons, who, who graduated University of Delaware, got married, and for different reasons, both of them ended up in Portland, Oregon. And as they wanted to do, they started grandkids. We bit the bullet and, and had, had made the tough decision, leave all of our friends and, and leave my university and come out to Oregon. So that happened in 2009. And so the real reason was to come out for the grandkids. Um, I hadn't much intention that someone asked, can I move your bees out there? I could have put bees on the back of a truck and moved them to California. And I said, nah, I think uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to retire. Well, <laughs> other things intervened and I'm uh, actually probably more active in bees than I was in my professional life at retirement. I'm a work <laughs> in progress. I don't know what's going to be. Well, you're hooked up with the university there now, right, Dewey? Indeed so. Um, the um, Oregon State University has had a long tradition of a, of a, a program supporting honeybees, pollination. There's a lot of pollination in the state. And uh, I welcomed a brand new graduate student before I left Cornell by the name of Mike Bergatti. Come out of the Army. <laughs> he didn't have much experience. So I took him out and the first day. I kicked the hive, literally. I kicked the hive so that you see what bees were. Got stung, and the rest is history. He was he was hung up on bees, loved them. So he stayed. Uh, I went on to Maryland. He stayed, got his degree, and then his first job was out here at Oregon State. So as I'm looking at, you know, well, what am I going to do? I managed the university bees a long time at Delaware. So I hooked up again with we. I met him at meetings, and we, I've come out to meetings in time. So I said, uh, Mike, what about the idea of a uh, of a courtesy appointment. Uh, I, I was an emeritus professor elected to that in Delaware. 
says, oh, sure, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Morse's is, you got to be on our spec. So they hooked me up with it. It's a courtesy appointment. You know, um, I get the right to, to hunt for a parking place when I go down there and you know, get the right to stay in line for football tickets, that type of thing. Get library privileges is real important. Got a, you know, email address, those things. So, um, okay. so yeah, so I have the no pay, lots of glory, no pay. <laughs> so what do you, what, uh, what's the, the primary difference that you see in keeping bees on the East Coast versus the West Coast? Or do you see uh, any? I do. As I say, all my experience have been the East Coast. So, so then out here, then after a year, I, my palms got itchy and I got some bees. So um, I have like five backyard colonies here in Oregon. Days. Uh, a number of differences. Um, in in um, the East Coast, uh, um, you know, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, Delaware, where I was, Maryland, we had a couple of full-time beekeepers uh, in the state part of the time, not. Here, there are legions of them. There's a, there's a good five, six dozen, you know, large-scale beekeepers, more than, you know, uh, more than a thousand colonies of bees. Um, and they move for pollination, so bees have wheels on them. Um, and um, Oregon is not a good honey-producing state, never has. So to make their money, they move them. Yeah. And, of course, it's close to California and uh, and, uh, and uh, since, uh, you know, we had this issue with CCD and colonies a little scarce, price for moving them to almonds in California has jumped up, uh, so it's, it's real profitable for them. That starts their season, and then on average, they move their colonies into five different crops in the year. Mm-hmm. Some fellows doing as many as 10 different ones. Um, so they'll have their contracts, um, and then they'll try to get a timeout for their bees to get them away from ag and a more mixed uh, smorgasbord of plants for the end of the year. So, so this was a whole new world, having all this opportunity to interaction, interact with the commercials. Um, the big thing with, uh, I mean, hobbyists have come on strong everywhere across the U.S., very strong uh, 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 clubs here. Virtually each of the counties here in the in the what we call the Willamette Valley, the uh, part of uh, Western Oregon, have a bee association. Very active, very strong. Our state tra- Oregon organization has transitioned successfully here. They used to be just commercials. Um, now they uh, program for, accept, and include the hobbyists as well. So it's a sort of an integrated group. Not all all of them in all states are. Um, the bee thing that I found big difference is we don't have a fall flow here. I mean, I was spoiled with goldenrod and aster, and there's nothing here. It gets dry, everything dries up, and my God, uh, you know, the, the bees are starving. They're robbing. You open up a colony, they start robbing each other. Um, so a big issue, of course, you know, with mites, with viruses, is new, but that's across the country as well. So I've had to relearn a few things you can't rely on that for those fall crop that fall plant yeah the yellow jackets have really surprised me around this area too they are ever 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 i mean they haul picking in orchards um people don't go to the park because they're so fierce uh beekeepers have uh, one or two traps per colony so they're trapping you know the, the workers like crazy just to just to keep the pressure down so that the yellow jackets kind of just feed on the dead out front rather than 
actually invading colonies. Yeah. You open a colony and they're right there. I don't know you, um, what their signal is, but boy, you open a colony and they're right inside. They're, they're real nasty. They're really nasty. I guess I don't miss that much out here. <laughs> in the. <laughs> if we see one or two, I had, uh, ran into a, a small ground nest this last weekend, but um, we haven't seen many this year and don't often see very, occasionally they flare up, but Dewey, I want to I want to hold you on 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 uh, that for a minute, and uh, and I'm going to guess it's your relationship with the university and or all of the people that you know that you you got hooked up with the Honeybee Health Coalition, and I know you've done a lot of work with them. Um, we had uh, Jerry Hayes on here a while ago. He talked about it because he's part of it, and uh, uh, but you have a somewhat different role in that group. Can you share that? And and and, and I'm going to tell you, I think. I don't think enough people are using the information that's available. How can we get more out there? What do you think? Yeah, um, and I'm not exactly sure how it all worked out. So the Honeybee Coalition is, the health coalition is like 49, we're up to 49 groups. We're not trying to add groups, but it's a really fully integrated. It includes the beekeeping group, the, uh, the national group, EAS, HAS, WAS, the federation, and the honey producers. But also includes the uh, manufacturers of the of the chemicals, uh, the buyers of the chemicals and the and the equipment, et cetera. It includes. Um, it's really fully integrated all the way down to crop uh, organizations. The Almond Board is uh, is a member, for example. Sustainable Agriculture. We even have a uh, fund that's on there. A fund, the Levin Family Fund from Ohio. So it's it's a really an integrated group. Um, and I had the chance to, uh, to, just after they formed, they formed only in 2014, um, to go as a representative to, from um, WAS. And um, I've been their representative since, uh, on the, uh, as a member. Um, our group is broken down into task forces, and so my affiliation, the one I thought was best, was to work with the high management group. And um, we got off to a running start. And one of the things we identified was um, unbiased, uh, one-stop shopping, one-stop information for what do we do about Broa mite? Not what someone writes or says on, on the Internet or in a podcast or, or you know, other sources, but un, um, tested and true methods, scientifically based of what what do we need? What can we do about bromide? And so this group took on that particular task. What what this hive management? The group I was in. Well, that what you've done has the, the, the uh, probably the ongoing project. It's not a finished product yet. I'm sure as as uh, additions and and uh, new product new uh, knowledge is added. But on the web page, you have a book available essentially for download. Free, right on all of this on all this yeah on the tools for varroa management it is a guide <clears throat> it includes um, uh, the basic information about sampling why sampling is important it's an ipm approach in other words you start determining the number and then that number translates into some sort of a threshold um, thresholds vary um, we do have a recommended threshold but it varies by the producer by the objective of the beekeeper, um, and then uh, aspects of control. And an IEPM approach is to look at 
the alternative. It's it's uh, not anti-chemical, but an IPM approach is to look at what what can be done to keep things such as the pest, the broad pest we're talking about, keep the numbers down, manage the numbers down, so that um, we may have we may be able to keep it from having uh, an explosion of numbers. Uh, but then when those numbers do explode past some sort of a level where it's causing um, real damage, um, aesthetic or economic damage, uh, then often then going to a chemical control. In other words, um, many of these alternative controls can keep the number down, but they're not going to rescue um, a pest such as a row of pest numbers out of control in a colony or in a neighboring. So that's been the approach. So all of this is in one place. One of the things that the Honeybee Health Coalition, being such a diverse group, has been able to do is find funding for, for different projects. So um, the coalition found the, pro- the funding to be able to develop this whole document tools, uh, and they actually hired me then to do the, the first draft, to do the writing, and then through committee and then uh, following with peer review, um, this uh, tools for BROA management has been our finished product. Uh, so that is then available. We don't sell it. It is available only for download uh, and um, uh, freely download. Um, clubs will download it to their site. And, uh, um, you know, individuals can download it as well. Um, it is really designed to be the one stop uh, for all of the as I say, scientific-based, basic information. How to sample, what does a sample number mean? Um, then um, what, what, if you feel that's at a level of risk, what, uh, what are some of the options in terms of control? We have a spreadsheet to keep track of numbers. We also actually did a PowerPoint so that individuals can actually take the concept of this tools document to their own club. They can show the PowerPoint for their own club. We've gone through seven revisions. It's meant to be a living document. I mean, not one and done. I mean, the, the field of BROA and BROA management um, changes every year. Um, we've lowered the level of, of what we presume is our risk. We started as high as 5%. Assume now that 2 to 3% of that is of adult population of uh, adult numbers of mites, uh, mites on adult bees. So it is continually being revised uh, to be kept relevant. It's a great resource, a great uh, website for anybody to go out and browse and, and uh, study up on uh, as they're looking how to treat their bees. And that website is the honeybeehealthcoalition.org, all one word. So that's a real uh, good resource everyone should bookmark and uh, keep handy. I'm, I'm interested, Dewey, in how you balanced uh management if you live in phoenix or if you live in hartford connecticut um that must have been kind of a challenge yeah it was it's meant for north america and so we have uh, a number from canada as well that are using it as well as across the u.s so um the concept that i i developed i came up with is is to look at phases in a b county time when they are not actively getting resources we call it dormant it's that's not a real good definition of the term dormant increasing population large peak population 
or near or you know past past peak, and for a decreasing population. In the north, we would call that spring, summer, fall, winter. But of course, you know, spring in Florida and South Texas, you know, South Arizona is a different concept than what we might ha have here in Portland. You might have in Ohio, um, and so. The recommendations that for control are key to those phases of a bee population. I, I, I just have to admit that was quite clever. Uh, a nice way to get the same information to very diverse groups uh, and make it useful for them. Um, I was uh, at the, I, I looked at, I've looked at the book quickly, not long enough, I guess, but uh, that impressed me. That was a good way to do that. Um, Jeff, have you you just went and looked at their page? Have you yes. looked at that at the at the uh, coalition much? Worked with them? Uh, I've downloaded the book and I have a copy of it um, or you know, the PDF, and uh, I've used it. But I've not. There's a, so much more there that I could. Yeah, yeah. Learn from. Well, I, I certainly, Dooley, I've been impressed with the group. Uh, diverse is the right yeah. word. I hope you guys keep it keep it up and keep uh, North American beekeepers well informed. It's a, it's been a, and I urge everyone listening to this to go out and use this this resource because it is there's nothing else like it. Thank you, thank you. Maybe uh, maybe I can highlight a couple other things we have going. We uh, help co-sponsor the Mitathon that's coming oh, up yes. in September. Our concept there is everyone look at their hives at least in September. You should start before that. And then enter this into a national database that generates a map of counties across the U.S. So I'm in a county called Washington County here in Washington. Um, I would go in this uh, window of, of a, a Saturday to, to a Sunday a week and sample my, my hive for mite. And then simply by going on to a mite check, mitecheck.org, uh, um, I would enter, I found X percent, 2 percent of my adult population with mite. Um, and so it's meant to be um, a snapshot, but one to help illustrate that um, the first step of, of being able to be success, successful in controlling mites is knowing thy enemy, knowing what number is in a colony. All colonies have mites. So the, so the question we should be asking as a bee steward is not, does my colony have mite? Um, that answer is yes, or will have if it's not now, but how many mite? And so sponsoring a week of where everyone can enter data into a national database is a, is a, a way to bring this importance of testing, of monitoring to the forefront. So that's that's really what the Mitathon is all about across the U.S. Yeah. And, and that's uh, www.mitecheck.com. Dot com. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mitecheck.com. Correct. Yeah. And and there's a uh, there's a short article about it. Um, we did a catch the buzz yesterday, the buzz. I believe. Yeah, on the buzz. And, and if you go to bculture.com's webpage, you can get the uh, just click on the just click on the link, and that'll get you hooked up. And it'll yeah. tell you a little bit more about it, too. So yeah, Our concept, yeah. why we're doing it and why we think it's important. It's basically a citizen science. And we, in, um, 
um, this would be impossible for someone to try to collect as real data, try to get you know, across the country a sampling of mites. So we're asking beekeepers, citizens, to go ahead and try to fill in those that, that missing data that we, we use. Yep. Yeah, a- yeah, I was going to say, we'll add those links to the show notes um, on the website. So you look those Very up. Very good, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So we're coming up on the, the uh, end of... Coalition, oh, go ahead. The coalition is doing a couple of other things I might quickly mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found some money to sponsor some preliminary screenings for new insecticides. So we need. Uh, we know we're, we're going to be losing some of the current ones we have um, due to mite resistance. So that's one of our other activities. Um, we have um, a, a model project going, a demonstration project in the uh, Midwest where, you know, most of the bees end up in Dakotas for part of their year um, to try to integrate the, the crop uh, pest advisement with, uh, uh, you know, proper grow control in uh, food and nutrition for bees. Uh, we have a number of nutrition projects. We sponsored a, uh, a competition about uh, uh, what could be done for research on nutrition. Um, uh, those speakers at the uh, Federation meeting, we'll do it again coming up in South Carolina. Um, so people can see um, that important aspect. Um, mites are mightily important for bee health, but they're not the only thing. And so um, there are efforts underway in terms of, of, of mitigating pesticide, pesticide damage, both among beekeepers using pesticides, but, but when our bees leave our colonies and get exposed out in the environment. And then this food and nutrition, proper nutrition seems critical. Um, one stressor, let's say varroa mites, add that, uh, add up nutrition stress, uh, not enough pollen available or not enough, uh, you know, in, a, in an ag situation where there's only one thing in bloom, a weed killer to taking everything else out. Adding a level of stress, uh, these compounding factors really seriously stress bees, uh, seriously affect bee health. So the coalition is really not just about mites. Uh, it is um, not just about pesticides, not just about nutrition, but trying to put all of those together uh, with task force and finding funding to find, fund the work that's going on by uh, others that are doing that type of work. It's a resource that everyone should tap and, and look into the uh, the health uh, honeybeehealthcoalition.org. It's uh, really is good information. Well, I wanted to talk to you about Bolivia. Can you can you just tell us real quick what are you doing in Bolivia? Um, I said I was a work in progress in retirement. One of our plans was to spend um, half the year in Bolivia. Half the year in U.S. Uh, 25 years ago, I married a delightful uh, Latina who was from Bolivia. We met through our international development project. Um, and so she still has family there. So in retirement, we were going to spend some time there. Well, of course, uh, when I married her 25 years ago, I discovered the grandfather was a beekeeper. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, small world. <laughs> So maybe it was destined to be. Uh, um, he has since passed away, and so I would sort of take care of the bees on those trips that we went down while I was still, you know, active at the university. Um, but recognize that that wasn't very effective. Uh, Bolivia was one of the early countries to be uh, uh, affected by Africanization of the bee population in South America. 
So when he was there uh, initially 25 years ago, he had gentle European bees in Langstroth equipment, some rustic hive as, uh, as well. And Africanized bees invaded from Brazil, Paraguay first, then Bolivia. And the population changed over and um, uh, to Africanized, and the bees became the monsters that we know as the defensive Africanized bees. Uh, and they brought their behavior of absconding with them so that um, um, he would keep the bees alive. He would feed them some, keep them through their dry season, which like our winter here. Uh, but then with Africanization, um, the bees changed, uh, not only being more defensive and hard to keep, but with their absconding, they leave. Uh, they just simply leave. They don't stay in their hive year-round. Um, and so I was there most of the times during their spring when they were storing honey, growing strong, and, you know, and, you know, you put on the extra equipment and you get in the colonies and sometimes you're totally terrified of them. You, you have no control. You recognize that quickly. But we were getting honey. Um, one of the, one of the um, nephews finished the university and was very interested in bees and said, uh, you know, let me, let me try to do this. He couldn't find a, a paying job, so he was going to do the bees full time. So tried to teach him something about keeping bees, keeping Africanized bees. So together we pumped the numbers back up, and now the family is, is supporting themselves with, with bees in Bolivia, keeping bees on a, on a full-time basis, not the thousands that you need here in the U.S. to be a commercial beekeeper, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but uh, a much smaller number. Um, honey there is a... As a medicine, gold is medicine. We mix it with the propolis, we mix it with pollen, and sell the honey in drugstores. So the return uh, relative to your product is, is very good. Huh. So it's, a, it's an adventure. As I say, I'm a work in progress. Um, <laughs> I had worked with Africanized bees in, in Panama and Central America, but you know, this is a chance to really work with my own in full time. They can be. Um, more than an adventure, they can be uh, an experience that, you know, whoa, what's happened? What ha- happened to these nice bees? When they're growing up to get big, they're, they're nice. They're fun to work with, just like our own colony. Mm-hmm. They get to be those full-size monstrous colonies. They, um, they can be overwhelming. You, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you just leave the apron. You just, you know, no sense in trying to do any more with them. They, they, there's so many bees in the air that they, the nephew I'm with, I have to shout. So we can hear each other. So many wings are beating because there's so darn many bees at your bale, uh, around you, in the air, escaping their colonies. You got open. Um, so it's just, you know, very different experience. Enjoy it, but different. Yeah, I had a pleasure. I had the pleasure in '93. Uh, I think Kim sent me down to south of Monterey, Mexico, to uh, uh, Dr. Hooper Gardner's and Dr. Taylor's. Uh, field lab, and I uh, spent several days with them and had the joy of experiencing the Africanized bees up close. And that personal. wasn't the word you used, Jeff. Joy. <laughs> I know. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> they can Thank be you. overwhelming. They yeah. really can. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They take the fun. You know, many people say they take the fun out of beekeeping. They're not like my bees here in the backyard in Oregon. That's for sure. I well, think I'll stick to Ohio beekeeping. There you go. <laughs> Well, um, Kim, anything else? No, Dewey, this has been fun. Um, like I said, we had a good time at EAS. I know you were a part of planning that, and, and it was good to see you again. Uh, always good to have a chat, history of master beekeeping, because of our 
EAS history. Uh, and I didn't know that you were a beekeeper in Bolivia, at least to that extent. So that was good to learn. Uh, and I will, I will stay in Ohio and keep bees. I think, um, I'll leave those to the <laughs> people who live there. Well, Kim, I, I'll tell you, you want me to bring a couple of queens back for you so you can requeen and have the experience for firsthand in your backyard? <laughs> oh, we got a really good inspection program here, dude. I don't think the inspector would let them. I would get bees, you know, yes, we're, we cannot bring bees into the U.S. Now, Bolivia has tried to bring bees there from the U.S., from uh, Hawaii, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the problem is European bees side by side with Africanized bees are not competitive. So their colonies sort of stay still. They dwindle eventually die out. Africanized bees, in the meantime, are storing you honey, are, are pollinating, are producing propolis, are producing pollen. They're great brood rearers. It's fun to put a pollen trap on them. Boy, you can fill a pollen trap up in a day. Uh, they're such good pollen foragers. Well, it's another good argument for using local bees, that's for sure. Local queens, that's local for sure. Local queens, so, indeed, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And we really now have more of a selected bee down there, um, basically from a, a nice Brazilian uh, breeding program. And so they're not uh, the, the terriblest terrible that initially they were when they first pioneered and invaded an area. Same in Mexico, same in, in Panama, et cetera. Um, they get a little bit better. I'm at um, 8,200 feet in the, in the city mm. where my wife's family is, that uh, Coach Bamba, um, and the elevation makes a difference. So there's, you know, that in environmental interaction that we have. Hot and dry and no resources. Yeah, they can be. They're very nastiest. But give them resources, lots of pollen to collect, uh, nectar out there available. And they're like our spring colonies here. They're busy. They're active. They're developing. And uh, it's fun to, to, you know, watch them grow and inspect those colonies and, and work with them. Great. That's when I'll visit, Dewey. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Well, yep. I think uh, we better wrap it up here. Uh, but, Dewey, I really appreciate you taking the time of, out of your busy days of, of retirement of, <laughs> that you've just described. Doesn't sound like you're in an easy chair. Uh, but it's, it's great to hear you and talk to you again. And um, look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, Jeff. I'll be up in one of our Washington meetings. I'll be up in Lewis County, uh, the Centralia, I think, in October. Oh, great. And probably Olympia next spring again. Yeah. I usually get up to Kings County, get up to the county meetings up there once or twice a year. I hope to at least once a year. That'd be great, Bob. Good to see you, Cam. Glad to have met uh, and had a chance to chat at uh, EAS. Uh, um, hope you're well. Hope you have a good fall. Hope the bees do well this fall. Thanks, Dewey. Uh, they're looking good so far. We'll, I'll let you know next spring. Good. All right. Thanks, Dewey. We'll talk to you. Thanks talk again. Okay. Thanks, Dewey. Take yeah, care. Cheers, all. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was really good to get Dewey on the podcast today. It was uh, fun to have him at the uh, Bee Club meeting uh, a couple months ago, and uh, it's an honor to have him on today. A lot of information there, Kim. What do you think? You know, it was good to be able to chat with Dewey pretty much uninterrupted for even a little while today. We typically only get to talk in a crowd, at a meeting, or at a meal with a whole bunch of other folks. This was kind of unique. I'm glad he was able to give a brief history of the EAS Master Beekeeper Program. You know, Roger Morris's family of grad students have certainly made their mark. And Dewey, Mike Brigette, and all the rest have been a big part of the WAS organization out by you, Jeff 
which, as you probably realize, is a spinoff of the EAS program out here. And I think he was the perfect choice for organizing the Varroa Management Book put out by the Honey Bee Health Coalition, available free online. Check it out if you haven't already, Jeff. The latest information vetted by the best science there is. Seven revisions means it's as good as it gets, and the approach they took, based not on seasons, but on the growth and decline of the population in a colony. That, to me, is genius. The same book fits Pittsburgh and Phoenix. That's pretty cool. The Citizen Science Program, the Mitothon, has been going on for a bit and was just getting geared up to take off when we talked to him uh, today. It's, It's going on next week. But by the time you hear this, it'll probably be over. But check out their webpage for being part of it next year. And I hadn't realized his extensive beekeeping experience with Africanized honeybees in Bolivia. Tell me, I'm mm-hmm. going to keep my bees in Ohio. You're going to keep, you want to try some of those things, Jeff? <laughs> no, I definitely don't. Just a quick note on who's online in the next few weeks um, that I got, I've put together. We're going to have Jim, too, again, of course. But on Great. deck is Vaughn Bryant, the pollen specialist from Texas A&M. Sam Ramsey, the scientist who's working with Roa and Fat Bodies, among other things, from Mar- the University of Maryland. And coming up is Jennifer Berry, Marina Marchesi, and Dan Conlon, just to name a few. We've got some good people coming up, Jeff. I'm looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to it, too. The EAS was a good conference, and uh, though uh, August was a little slow uh, for getting the podcast out, it really will pay off this fall with the people you talked to and the interest you generated for the podcast. So that's great. Thanks a lot. We need more people, Jeff. (laughs) We, we, We need more people all the way around. So... I feel no different than any other beekeeper. We've, we're, we've got, we know we've got a big harvest. We just need to get it off the hive and, and get it in the bottle. So uh, the podcast coming up um, will be a lot of fun. I look forward to them. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks a lot, Kim. We'll catch you next time. Okay, Jeff, take it easy. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>